Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco and I discuss the way the New York Times whiffed its coverage of the FBI whiffing the Kavanaugh investigation. Then special bonus environment content, Naomi Klein joins to discuss how we can't shop our way out of the climate crisis. Then Priyanka Arabindi joins Tian Tran and Dana Schwartz in studio to talk about the difference between wellness and woo-woo nonsense. And as always, our hills. A little bit of housekeeping before we get started. If you want to submit a hill you'll die on, record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. And if you have a burning question you'd like us to answer, submit it to Dude You Asked via email, also at hysteria at crooked.com. And don't forget to check out the segment on Crooked Media's Instagram. Crooked Media is teaming up with Stacey Abrams for her initiative, Fair Fight 2020. I would love you to join us in that. Stacey and her team are sourcing, training, and funding four members of a voter protection team in 20 battleground states for 2020. Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Texas, Virginia, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Mississippi. That's a lot of states. The team will include a voter protection director and deputy director, as well as a hotline director and voter protection organizer. They'll stand up and staff a hotline to answer voters' questions, monitor, flag, and address voting irregularities, build and train an army of volunteers, work with election officials, campaigns, and activists, all kinds of stuff. Each team costs roughly $250,000 for a total of $5 million. And in order to get these teams on the ground a full year ahead of the election, we need to raise that amount by November 5th, 2019 which is a year before Election Day, which, honestly, can't come soon enough. If you want to chip in, you should head to votesaveamerica.com slash fairfight. That's votesaveamerica.com slash fairfight. We would love for you to join in. This week, I'm trying a new thing because I ran out of people to shout out. (laughs) I would just freeze up. Every week, I would get to a point where I'm like, oh, who am I going to shout out? So I'm just going to do a new thing where I recommend something 
that doesn't make me feel like walking into the sea. This week, I recommend listening to NPR's Nina Totenberg deliver a remembrance for her friend, journalist Koki Roberts, who passed away this week at 75. Both women are huge inspirations to me and a lot of other women, and um, the impact that they've had on each other's lives is really incredible and Nina Totenberg's remembrance of her friend is is really powerful and great so if you want a tearjerker check that out now let's get to the show hello hey Alyssa hey Erin I have a question for you is this a joke I've been waiting for all week (laughs) yes you have a sister right I do. Okay. So when people talk about the two of you, do they refer to you guys as the Alyssa sisters? No, it's funny. They do not. Okay. Then why the fuck are they the Mario brothers? It makes zero sense. Why does it go by one of the brothers' first names? Unless their their last... Do you know what? Unless their last name is also Mario. I always thought it was their last name. No, but is Mario's name Mario Mario? (laughs) Otherwise, it makes zero sense. And if his name is Mario Mario, it also makes zero sense because that's dumb. Don't name your kid your last name as a first name. It just... This is a revelation. (laughs) No, their last name is Pisano, which I learned... I I wasn't a video game player as a child. We weren't allowed... But um, I recently learned that it's like Pisano, which I guess means friend in Italian, which is also very stupid. Um, But yeah, Hmm. yeah, it's been bothering me for years and I finally put words to it. And thank you for helping me speak my truth. You know what? I am. I'm glad that we that we hashed this out. Yeah, I I am too, because what we're going to talk about today is not fun. Uh, It's not about a video game. It's about real life. And it uh, fucking sucks. Um, So uh, this week, the New York Times ran a piece by two of its reporters who have a book out about Brett Kavanaugh, Supreme Court Justice. Um, And in the book, the two reporters address and investigate sexual assault allegations that came up against Brett Kavanaugh that were raised during his confirmation hearings uh, about a year ago. Um, Alyssa, how would you summarize what these two reporters found? Uh, So what these reporters found, in my humble estimation, is that the Trump administration did most definitely tell the FBI that they could not fully investigate any of the Deborah Ramirez claims, and they didn't. And because the FBI did not do a thorough investigation, there are still a lot of questions around Brett Kavanaugh and his fitness to be a Supreme Court justice, which, if only because of perjury, uh, he's got problems. Yes, if only because of perjury. Also, they found one thing that I thought was really noteworthy, and the way that they came into the story is um, they focused on Deborah Ramirez, who is a classmate of Kavanaugh's at Yale. Um, And apparently Ramirez had given the FBI a list of 25 people who they could have spoken to. 25 people. 25 people who they could Hmm. have spoken to about the allegations against Kavanaugh, um, seven of whom knew about the incident, uh, the incident where he allegedly put his penis in her face at a party and she swatted it away. Mm. Um, They knew about that. uh, Seven of them knew about it before he was even confirmed as a federal judge. Um, And how many did the FBI call? Let me count. Zero. Zero. They called zero. They called zero of them. So 
what's worse, that a sitting Supreme Court justice apparently committed perjury during his confirmation hearing because he did say that this was all lies, um, or that Republicans on the Senate Judiciary and perhaps even higher up in Washington were so determined to fuck with the FBI investigation into him, which is worse? I mean, I'm going to put them on equal footing. (laughs) I mean, Aaron, like, what the fuck? Like, look, we knew, we knew at the time that it was fucked, right? But there was so much happening. Christine Blasey Ford is testifying. And remember, they didn't let Deborah Ramirez testify either. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And so this story was always a bit secondary, if only because the Ford story was so sexy and she was gonna she was going to testify, even though she didn't want to testify because it was going to be horrible, which she was right about. But like, think about it, Aaron. If the FBI, she gave them, Ramirez gave them 25 names. If the FBI had only interviewed 12, they still wouldn't have been doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that's like. They did zero. The, the thing that's really, that I'm thinking about this week is I'm revisiting the the really ridiculous, um, I guess, hissy fit that Brett Kavanaugh threw um, when, during his confirmation hearing is, first of all, like, why him? Why did it need to be him? Like, and and then I was thinking, is it, did the Senate uh, Republicans and the White House push Kavanaugh through after these came up because they could, because they wanted to show us that they could? Um, I'm just, I'm confused about the psychology behind it. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting is that, so here's, you want to know my dark theory? Yeah, absolutely. Is that if they judged Brett Kavanaugh for this shit, right? For what he did in college, which was repulsive and repugnant. What would happen to that? So if they stood in judgment of what he did, though, let's just stipulate upfront, being a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States isn't a fucking right. Okay. It's like not his right. He wasn't robbed of his right to vote. Like he wants to rob other people. This was a, it's privilege. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not right. But if those men who fought for him so vigorously and let's not forget the sister, the treacherous sister up in Maine, Susan Collins, mm-hmm. the men I feel like who were pushing for him were really like, fuck. I have vague memories of myself in college. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if I stand in judgment of him, I'm judging myself. And God knows I'd never fucking do that. Well, let's talk about that, because I think that like that I think a lot of people were telling on themselves by by standing up for Brett Kavanaugh. But I also think that The New York Times told a little bit on itself in the way that it handled this story. Um, It buried the story in the opinion pages and it buried a third allegation, which a Washington, D.C. consultant, I think, had alerted the FBI of having seen and never got any follow up on. They they buried a new allegation in like paragraph nine. Um, and also the tweet that went out with the story originally characterized um, getting a dick uh, put in your face at a party where you didn't want a dick put in your face as a harmless fun. Do you think that there is a pervasive... And also, yeah, it's like they made it about whether she fit in at Yale. <laughs> which is such a weird like angle. Like fitting in at Yale is hard. What? Yeah. Like, what the- and this poor woman real like you know one of one of Ramirez's sort of revelations is that you know her mother didn't want her to go to Yale she wanted her to go to a smaller school and that you know now she wishes she had why should she have not felt comfortable 
at Yale. I mean, it's so fucked. Yeah. I mean, also like the, the idea that this is harmless fun, like harmless fun for who? Who determined, like, it wasn't, why, why would it, why would it occur to anybody to characterize it as harmless fun? Like, who's having fun here? Is it the guy taking his dick out? Is it the people laughing at the guy taking his dick out? Is it the person with the dick in their face? Who's having fun? I mean, also, can I just say, I went to the University of Wisconsin, arguably a party school, and like, never in my life did I see a penis taken out at a party and other people around that penis enjoying whatever it was doing publicly. Like the whole thing is so just like disgusting. Yeah. What the fuck was wrong with Yale? I mean, I went to Notre Dame, which is a school <laughs> that has a ton of rich assholes there. So many rich assholes, Alyssa, you would have no, it, it's like, it was mind boggling for this little country bumpkin to roll into Notre Dame and see kids who could just pay for college. There were so many rich kids, so many. And I never saw any of them. And I hung around with a lot of them. I was like friends with a lot of them. I never saw a dick put in somebody's face at a party and had people laugh. So that sounds like a specific either Yale problem or Brett Kavanaugh problem, because I've never, ever seen that happen before. I'm going to double down and say that I'm guessing it was a Brett Kavanaugh problem. Yeah. And... That's that's another thing. Like, so it is a Brett Kavanaugh problem. And my dark theory about this, Alyssa, is that the Republicans mm -hmm. on the judiciary and the White House put Kavanaugh in the White House because they wanted to show that they could do whatever they wanted, that they don't need uh, women, people of color, uh, people who have some empathy for victims and survivors. Um, they don't need those people to be on their side. They can accomplish their agenda, even with all of us angry. And and that's the dark thing. It's I like, agree. it's and like cruelty is the point kind of situation. Well, because also remember the arc of this terrible story. Remember in the very, very beginning, Donald Trump said on camera, he found Dr. Blasey Ford's allegations credible. And I think what happened, you know, if we were to burrow ourselves into the dark caverns of that West Wing is that they were like, oh, hell the fuck no. What are you thinking, dude, Mr. President? You have the same, a variation of these problems in your own house. Mm -hmm. And so like, what are you saying? She sounds credible. How could she sound credible? And the people who accuse you not be credible. And he was like, zoink, Scoob. You're right. None of them are credible. Double down. Right. If one woman is lying, then all of the women are lying. And you know, that actually reminds me of another way that the New York Times has fucked up allegations involving uh, Republicans in Washington right now. When E. Jean Carroll's book that alleged that Donald Trump mm -hmm. raped her in a dressing room in Manhattan, um, that was buried in the book section also. That wasn't treated as news. And I think the editorial defense was that these these revelations didn't come from New York Times reporting. They came, it, they were revealed in their respective books. But Jesus Christ, the president raped somebody or a Supreme Court justice actually had maybe another instance of sexual assault in his background that other people remember. Um, that's in that's buried not as news. Like what? what? What is what is going on at The New York Times? That is another question that I have for you, Alyssa. If you know, I don't know. You're closer to The New York Times building than I am right now. Only in physicality. Okay. Um, I don't know. You know, it's no, it's like, it's, it's a total, it, it is a, it is a mystery because it's almost like, okay, this is not 
cool necessarily what I'm going to say. Good. But it's kind of like, you know, when your grandma's like trying to keep up on the times and she like calls it the Twitter uh-huh. or the Google, uh-huh. right? So I feel like, like the New York Times is trying to like play in, in like, like Trump gets all this attention for his like lunatic tweets and everything he puts out and other people say very salacious things, but like, it's the New York times. We don't want that from you. We want you to be kind of boring and just tell us what there is. And so like, just tell us what there is. Mm -hmm. Like, like who could you imagine Aaron five years ago, ever imagining the New York times would put the word penis in a tweet. (laughs) Yeah, they would like, they would why? bleep it or they would call it male genitalia or something like that. Anything or they would have found a different way to describe it. And instead, they didn't even just use the word penis. They said having it thrust in your face is a harmless fun for some. No, no, it's not. I guess I just feel like they're trying to play at a level which is actually beneath them and they shouldn't do because right. like those types of headlines are not what make me read their articles. Right. They're, they're merchants of truth. They're not merchants of cool. And that's okay. That's truly okay. Right, like, leave it to BuzzFeed. Leave it to <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I was actually just going to just to just to tag on that since we're dunking on the New York Times right now. I still have a subscription, by the way. I'm like thinking about canceling, but I really don't want to have to make a phone call which I is part of canceling. They make you call. They make you call, Alyssa. It's terrible. Um, but I, so okay, here's, so here's the thing. I know that to be true because I did it. Oh, you but did. I did it because I found it was wasteful of paper. Yes. Is oh. that I was getting it and I was, I was getting the paper subscription and I decided to just do my online. That's smart. But I did have to call. Ugh, I'm going to have to make a phone Sometimes call. Sometimes I'm smart. Yeah, I'm going to have to make a phone call, though. Okay. Well, that's, I think, all the time we have to talk about this. Do we have a toast and roast for the week? I I have a toast. Okay, good. Good. Thank God. My toast is to Elizabeth Warren Ooh. because she gave, she did her rally here in New York and she stood and took selfies for four hours. And I think one, that's fucking commitment. Whether you like her or not, or believe in her policies or not, that's someone who is fucking dedicated to the cause. And also the reason I love it that people don't give enough credit for the reason she stands and takes all the selfies is that like, think, I always think of myself when I was really young and would I had the courage to push myself to the front of the line to try to get a selfie no, I never would have. And so I just like that part of why she does that and the outcome of what she does is that she makes everybody feel special and empowered. And I just thought it was really nice. Yeah. Um, here's another tag on that. How does she have the energy to do it? I don't have the energy to do very much else after I record an episode of Hysteria. I just go home and like lie down. It's, how does she how does right. she do and it? She's, she's 70. 70. And she after she gave a speech. After she gave a rousing speech. And I feel like that's why the argument isn't really about age. It's about just like level of fitness. <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth Warren, I will have whatever you're having because <laughs> that is very impressive. Good toast, Alyssa. I'm not going to tag on Thank that. You. I, I think that pretty much encompasses a good way to end this segment. Um, and I will see you next week here in LA. Oh, get ready. I'm just going to sit on your lap. Oh my God. Get rid of me. We're going to, we're going to switch off. Sometimes use it on my lap. Sometimes <laughs> I sit on your lap. We're going to switch off. Okay. Um, Either way, look for the pics on social media. Yeah. Well, now we have to do it. Okay. I know. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.
I'm delighted to bring you all a special treat today. I got to chat with Naomi Klein. Naomi Klein is an award-winning journalist and New York Times bestselling author. She's a senior correspondent for The Intercept, a Puffin Writing Fellow at Tight Media Center, and is the inaugural Gloria Steinem Chair in Media, Culture, and Feminist Studies at Rutgers University. Her new book, On Fire, The Burning Case for a Green New Deal, was released this week. Hi, Naomi, and welcome. First, congratulations on the book release. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. Yes, I'm happy that you're with us today. Um, And I was doing some research for this, and I discovered that you'd finished it before this latest swell of climate-related coverage. Do you feel like what's happening right now is just sort of a fad, or do you feel like real change is underway? I feel like there is a real shift um, because Absolutely. You know, interest in climate change has ebbed and flowed over the years. Um, you know, you'll have the Inconvenient Truth comes out and all the celebrities will show up at the Oscars in hybrids and Vanity Fair will declare that they're doing an annual green issue. And then then it will just never reappear mm-hmm. <laughs> because people just stop caring about climate change because there's an economic crisis. And, you know, and, and then we're kind of back to, to ground zero. What's really different now, and you can see it in the polling, is that it's not just that you have a majority of Americans finally saying, we know it is real, we know humans are the drivers of this. They're also saying this is their top issue alongside health care. That has never happened before. Even at like the sort of peak inconvenient truth moment, Americans would say, okay, we care about climate change. But if you ask them to rank it, they would rank it number 20 on their <laughs> list of concerns. Mm-hmm. And so the message that sends to politicians, as you know, is, you know what, you can, you, you know, you're, you're not going to lose an election by being crappy on climate change, right? Um, this is not the issue that people really care about. They care about jobs. They care about health care. So that has has changed. That political calculus for politicians has changed. And in addition to that, you have the Green New Deal, which is a, which is a framework for saying, actually, you can care about health care and jobs and climate change all at once. And here's a plan for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, let's talk a little bit about the Green New Deal. Just to paraphrase, in the book, you observe that our current economic system demands unending growth and that our current climate crisis demands curtailing that growth. And the ways we consume can be changed, but the laws of nature can't be changed. Um, and that's one of the right. more succinct ways I've heard the crisis describe. And and I think that that's one of the reasons that the messaging of the, you know, of the climate, climate change being urgent is now kind of rising to the top of people's lists. But once we get past the people getting concerned hurdle, um, we get mm-hmm. to the point where like big change has to happen. Um, how do you see institutions that are resistant to change adapting change? What do we have to do as like the little people to force the big institutions to change? Right. Well, I think, you know, we are in an election cycle in the United States. So one of the things that we need to do is make sure that a candidate comes out of the primaries who doesn't only talk a good game about climate change, but actually has embraced the Green New Deal framework, um, has a track record of taking on corporate power because this is going to be the fight of our lives. There are some very, very powerful interests um, who are going to fight like hell to protect their economic model. If you're a fossil fuel company, you need to always have more in reserve than you have in production, right? Mm -hmm. That is a huge problem because we need to close the fossil fuel frontier. We can't just keep finding new reserves of oil and gas and coal to dig up. 
Um, so, you know, it's not just about what politicians say. It's about their track record taking on very powerful, very wealthy interests. Mm-hmm. Um, then we can help them win <laughs> the election. Um, and then we ha- would have to stay mobilized to be the counter pressure, right? Because, you know, even in that best case scenario of having somebody like that in the White House, taking back the Senate, all that good stuff, we have to remember that, you know, FDR faced an attempted banker's coup when he tried to introduce the original New Deal. Um, And the only reason why the New Deal was as good as it was, and we have to remember all the people who were excluded, including domestic workers, agricultural workers, overwhelmingly black and brown workers, is because the labor movement was so organized, so mobilized. There were general strikes. There was a population demanding ever more ambitious change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that brings up a, a, an important other question. Um, we talk about big structural change that needs to happen. And um, a lot of times when environmentalism or climate science becomes something that is de rigueur, um, People focus on things that individuals can do, like, I'm Mm going to reuse my bottle and, you know, I'm going to carpool instead. Do you you feel like these kind of micro pressures on people distract from the real enemy? You know, I think that 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 immediate response of like, the world's on fire, I'm going to recycle, the world's on fire, what can I as an individual do? It's just honestly, it's just crazy. (laughs) Like, you know, if you're up against planetary scale forces, why on earth would you think this is something that you could change through your shopping, right? Um, Maybe collectively, if we have regulations that create very different incentives, we will change, but it's not something we're going to do voluntarily. I mean, I don't know about you, but I used to smoke cigarettes and um, I didn't actually stop smoking cigarettes until there were rules in place that made it so incredibly inconvenient for me to smoke cigarettes that I found myself in, you know, sub-zero weather, you know, um, without a coat on and just feeling like an idiot because it has been banned in so many places. Right. Right. Um, So, uh, you know, not all of us are going to just do this because it's the right thing to do, which is why we have laws. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we need to understand that that idea that we're going to solve this through shopping is a symptom of the crisis. It is a symptom of, of the extent to which shopping has overtaken every aspect of our lives and we now build our identities around consumption. And so when we think about the areas of our life that need to contract and the areas of our life where we can have abundance, right? Um, there, shopping is going to have to take a, a, a back seat to other ways that we form identity and community that actually, according to all those social science research, is what makes us happy. Time with friends, mm-hmm. you know, time in nature, um, you know, investing in the glue that holds communities together and that doesn't burn a lot of carbon, like mm-hmm. healthcare and childcare and education, the arts. I mean, this is all low carbon work. And this is sort of the drum that I'm always banging on. It's like, yes, it is about guys in hard hats putting up solar panels and let's get women in there as well. But there's all kinds of low carbon work that is overwhelmingly done by women, which is which is devalued, um, and, you know, and often entirely unpaid, definitely underpaid. And we can expand those parts of our economy. We can make sure that those are well-paying jobs. We can have a sense of abundance in the parts of our life that actually, um, you know, make us happiest and most fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings up an important point. Um, I think that it's human nature to want to feel like you're trying to do something. 
you know, so I think the shopping thing is is a symptom, obviously, of the fact that it completely permeates every aspect of our lives and consumption is is something that has been conflated with creation and an identity in this mm-hmm. really troubling way. But people do want to feel like as individuals, they're doing what they can. So if somebody were to tell you, what can I do today right. that actually will make uh, uh, actually will help me join into the effort to make a difference. What would you suggest that that person do? Well, I would say it depends on who you are and what you do. You know, I was, I was, I was at a conference um, a few days ago uh, that was organized by architects and, and landscape architects who were organizing their sector to, 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 to map out what their role in a Green New Deal is. I mean, obviously, architects are going to be a central role in getting off fossil fuels, play a central role. Um, you know, I, I spoke to a group of nurses recently who were who asking themselves the same question. How do we make our se- sector more low carbon? How, do, how are we part of this transformation? Um, the, during the, 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 the climate strikes that were called by young people, but they said to adults, you know, join us. I thought it was really inspiring that tech workers at companies like Amazon and Microsoft organized themselves and said, look, our, our sector is way too high carbon. We tell ourselves it's not high carbon, but, you know, it is. And some of our, our companies are doing business with fossil fuel companies. We want them to stop. So organize where you are, you know, find your, find your tribe, you know, whether it's the company you work for, whether it's the sector, whether it's your neighborhood. But whatever it is, don't try to do it alone. You know, you're mm-hmm. just going to get depressed and burnt <laughs> out. Um, and, you know, this is, I think, you know, you look at somebody like Greta Thunberg. I mean, she has uh, transformed her life. I mean, she's vegan. She doesn't fly. But the most important thing she has done is start a global youth movement, right? Right. And she's very clear about that. Okay. Well, I wish I could sit around and talk to you about this all day because it's really been something that is ex- existentially causing me dread, but this makes me feel better talking to you about collective action. So Naomi Klein, thank you so much for joining me. Um, If you want to read more of her, you can read one of her many books, or you can read On Fire, the new book from her, On Fire, the Burning Case for a Green New Deal, which just came out this week. Thank you so much for joining me, Naomi. It was a pleasure. Take care. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. 
love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Welcome back. We have reached the part of the show where I'm not lonely at a table with a microphone. I'm joined by three wonderful women to talk about something that we are interested in talking about. First, I want to bring in a woman who has had literally nothing happen to her in the last week, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Actor and comedian Tian Tran. Congratulations, first of all. Thank Um, you. First time in human history. That's a good week. Yeah, nothing. It's very chill. Nothing of note happened. Wow. That's... Great. I got a cork board. <laughs> Mazel tov. I mean, things were crazy. <laughs> I am. Um, Actually, if, if there was the drama that I got one and it was chipped and then I returned it. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> Talk about a life. I went to Ikea because I'm moving mm. and I it was like. You go in and you're like, I'm going to do this. And then it's sort of like the muck of Ikea starts <laughs> slowing you down. And I was like, I spent like five minutes staring at like three different corkboard options. And I was like, mm, none and walked away. Whoa. So that's my corkboard news. Um, next, I want to bring in a podcast host and writer and a cat drama haver. Dana Schwartz. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here despite your cat drama. Despite my cat drama. His name is Beetlejuice, and he's been causing me a little bit of, of stress recently, but I'm, I'm being a good cat mom. I mean, cats are really dramatic. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a poser also. Not like poser, like like he like 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 a teen. He like he'll do something bad and then like literally pose and freeze like with his leg out and like Beetlejuice. Uh, well so. now I'm thinking of Beetlejuice in like Jenko jeans. Yeah. He's also a poser in like the nineties mall punk. Yeah, he line. says he likes POD but he doesn't. He can't even name any other elf. <laughs> um yeah like anytime a cat gets sick at all or like doesn't feel great they're like I'm gonna die and they just <laughs> act like they just like will refuse to eat like I had a cat drama back in June I boarded Eleanor when I went on a trip oh, yeah and I came back and she was like almost dead and it took me like two weeks to get her to eat on her own again because she was just like no no it's fine <laughs> I'll just die I had to try to put a tiny pill in his mouth just like the tiniest pill and I tried it like rubbing it with the treats and with his food and he just always lick around it until I had to physically force open his jaw and I'm oh, like it's yeah. good for you you need it yeah I'm trying to help you stay alive you cunt yeah. <laughs> that is the experience of owning a cat. Wow, I'm the same way. Maybe I should get one. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It sounds perfect for me. Uh, let's bring in our guest today. Uh, you know her from the Crooked Media newsletter and from the other episode of Hysteria she's been on and other yeah. Crooked Media 
related projects. And also, if you're lucky, maybe you know her in real life. It's Priyanka Aravindi. <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much for joining us I'm again. so happy to be back. I think you should get a cat. We're three for four at yeah. this table. Yeah. If you like I theater, mean, you need a cat. You need, <laughs> you need the performance of it. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm, I think it might be my winter project. You're already ready for winter. <laughs> yeah, you are, look so cozy You're right sitting, now. Like, have you guys ever played Red Dead Redemption? This is a real journey, this, like, intro. Where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are literally, you love, you're like, know so much about sports and you know video games. You were like a manic pixie dream girl personified. No, I know three things about video games and I just said all of them. And that's, <laughs> those are the words Red Dead Redemption. No, they're always, like, sitting around waiting out blizzards wrapped in blankets. And oh, and like, that's how I wait out, like, news in the Slack. I just... <laughs> you sit there and you huddle and you hope that it'll, mm-hmm. it'll block it. Um... Well, I want to talk about a topic that I guess we all sort of engage with and and being California residents, we all tolerate to various degrees. And that is the subject of wellness. I don't mean wellness like fitness, although that seems to be a component of it. I mean, wellness like buy this thing, rub this on your skin, go into this room and sit for 25 minutes and you'll be better and happier. Mm -hmm. Um, So Priyanka, I want to start with you. What do you think of when you think of wellness and wellness culture? Well, a lot of the things that you were saying, it's, you know, you can buy and do and whatnot. And I think for a really long time, my association with wellness was like, you know, a thing that you would do. And ultimately, you know, whether or not it was making you feel better or something, the end goal of it was to look better. Mm -hmm. And I think now, at least in the stage that I'm at, is kind of like things I can do, or at least I think of wellness. I'm like, oh, I'm really trying to get to bed earlier and wake up at a better time. Like that's my (laughs) wellness project at the moment. And it's like, it feels really good to not be doing something. Like I'm not buying any product or going to any place or like it's not a consumer focus activity. Not saying that I haven't done things that have been like very buy this, do this, whatever. Um, but it feels good to have a wellness project at the moment that is like not determined or not, you know, affected by how much money I'm spending or, you know, some kind of effort. It's really just like making myself do this thing. Right. And it's, it's about like, actually feeling better. It's like self-contained wellness versus like performative wellness. Right. Where it's mm. like, look at me. I'm wearing my exercise pants all day because right. I'm going to this exercise class and I'm going to drink a $12 juice. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like my performative wellness is always, it's less to perform for other people and more performing for myself, where I always convince myself that if I buy a certain thing where I'm like, oh, I'll get rid of all my makeup and buy all new like glossy. Is it Glossier? Glossier? Glossier, Glossier, I think. It's, you just go Glossier. Glossier. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, if I get rid of all my gross makeup and buy all new Glossier, like, I'll become that better type of person. I'll become as naturally gorgeous as the, the makeupless women in their ads. I'm like, I convince myself always that if I buy a certain thing, like one little tweak, and that's going to be the thing to change my life and transform me into like the effortless, glamorous, beautiful person that... I've been inside the butterfly waiting to emerge. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's the craziest thing, I think. It's like they're selling you on this, like, version of yourself that you already are. And so it's, I, I don't know, I struggle with that yeah. because at some points it's like, oh, of course I want to be the best version of myself. Who doesn't? Tian, was there a point in your life when you 
when you first encountered like wellness culture and do you remember that or is there a point in your life when you first became annoyed with wellness culture? I feel like it's happening right now. Like I, 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 wellness in my family was just a little bit of like the wooiest my family got is like my mom would come home with like little Asian tinctures and be like, drink this tea and it'll make you feel better or like rub this oil on you and it'll make you feel better. And I, it's, it was, we had like the, the equivalent of like a tiger bomb that was, um, that was used for literally everything mm-hmm. that it was like used when we were sick. We used when we like had a bruise, like truly everything. And so I kind of grew up with this like idea of like, yeah, we're going to go to the doctor, but then we're also going to like add some other You're kind of like at home. We're going to do we're going to do stuff at home. <laughs> um, like when I had like a bruise from soccer, my mom would take this like eucalyptus oil, mix it with salt. Ah, that sounds painful. Uh, and then put it on the bruise. Okay, so no one else has done that. (laughs) No. I mean, it sounds like it smelled really good. I bet it smelled delightful. I mean, the idea that it was like like the salt salt. and the oil was like pulling the bruise out of your body. But like. Can't what what can you do for can you just like leave a I think bruise? you just I think you just leave it but it was like old wife it was like a you know like Vietnamese old wives tale huh. so I kind of like grew up that was like the wooiest wellness stuff that I kind of encountered as a kid and I feel like this new version of it annoys the hell out of me why because I, I, I think so much of it is pseudoscience it's just like people claiming these like great uh, benefits from very little data. Yeah, people yeah. too dumb to go to medical school yeah. being like, ooh, I can fix your health. I like, I remember yeah. a woman who went viral a couple years ago who was like, look at this, these are all chemicals. These are all chemicals. Like, H2O is a chemical. Like, she was uh, like breaking down, like, natural oh. elements into its its like, chemical uh, what is that even called? Why can't I remember? Formula? Formula. Oh my god. Oh, thank you four years of <laughs> biology. <laughs> um, breaking them down into a chemical formula and, and you're like, everything is a chem- everything is a chemical formula. And this woman was like, everything is toxic because it can be broken down into a formula. So that to me, I'm like, I, okay. I can't stand it. So you say the word toxic and that brings up a, a real like pet peeve of mine in wellness culture. And that's like the use of the word toxin. Yes. Yeah. What? What? That's just a that's just a word. And like the idea that you can draw toxins out using like crystals and insults and saunas <laughs> and like crazy things like that. Yeah. Have you ever done the uh, sweat? House, the Shape House is in L.A. No, so I I got it. I did it once as a as a gift. What so is someone that? Someone gifted me. Well, it's like a wellness thing. So basically, you go in this like very spa like environment, and you put on a long sleeve t shirt and sweatpants that they gave you, like labeled with their thing, and like socks that they leave you, and you get into like a. It, like a, a sleeping bag, like you're in like a pod and it's like a thick sleeping bag sort of, but lined with like tin foil. And then there's like a screen and you watch Netflix with headphones on. And basically <laughs> you're, you just are wrapped in this tin foil sleeping bag and like longs and longs watching whatever you want on Netflix for like 45 minutes while it gets hotter and hotter and you sweat until you're like dripping in sweat. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. I was going to say, did you, who gave you this gift? I did not enjoy it, but you're supposed to, it's supposed to like, you lose five pounds, but of course it's just water because you sweat it out and it's like, but it's supposed to detoxify and purify, but they sell like packages. So like people do this, like 
once a week or I guess like a few times a week, even though I'm like, I did it once and I was very uncomfortable and I am a baby and uh-huh. I don't like any physical discomfort. <laughs> so I was like, this is not for me. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think that like people really get like they have their workouts and they're like, and this is I put my body through this to make it better. And so that's also part of the wellness narrative, right? Like right. this is an expensive thing that people are doing because they're told that it makes them better. Yeah. Priyanka, what's the most like woo-woo weird wellness thing that you've tried that you're comfortable sharing? Hmm. Well, okay. This is, I don't think this is weird. I'm going to say that this actually, like I tried this and it worked and I loved it and it was great. Um, I think people think that acupuncture is like junk. No, that works. Yeah, it it like fully works. I had like a stress injury and was having like muscle spasms that were exacerbated by stress. So like awful all the time. Um, And I was going to physical therapy, wasn't really working. My mom was just like, hey, why don't you try this out? And I was like, okay. Mm. And California, great. It's covered under insurance. I work at Crooked. We have great health insurance, which like get up on a soapbox. Like you should not have to work at a company that gives you great health insurance to have it. That shouldn't be a thing. Um, But tried it out. And like the first time I went, it was like almost immediate relief, not entirely, but like so noticeable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is something that I think for the longest time, if you are like no, I am like 100% in on science and medicine and that fixes your problems. And like, I'm, I get it being resistant to something that is not that. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was one experience that I had when I was like, oh, this fully worked and I really like it. And I will talk it up to people because it is awesome. Yeah. I mean, things have like a, like different, there's a, there's a range. Yeah. There's a Mm -hmm. range of effectiveness. And some of those things like acupuncture comes from a long tradition totally. of, of mm-hmm. Eastern medicine totally. that is part of a tradition because it has worked for a very long time. Yeah. Then we have things like getting in a metal sleeping bag or a, a foil <laughs> sleeping bag. You know, and it might work. I have no data. You know, who knows? But it just it made me un- unhappy. Right. Well, in Scandinavia, they have like sauna culture yeah. and in Korea, they have spa culture. And like there's different things that people mm-hmm. do because it does make them feel better. But I think what's interesting is the way that like kind of, I love it. We're all calling it woo-woo culture. Uh, woo-woo culture has sort of, um, has taken elements of that, packaged it up, made it inaccessible for most people by making it too expensive mm-hmm, for most mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. and then sold it back to us as a way to get prettier. Because part of the appeal of it is luxury. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the the reason it's, it's expensive, that's a, that's a feature, not a bug. Mm-hmm. It's expensive because they want you to associate this wellness with a certain type of lifestyle. And if it was just like a cheap, readily available thing, it wouldn't have that association. Right. Like yoga, for example, was, I mean, and I'm I'm not in any way, I hate white people talking about yoga, but I know that it was like supposed to be an exercise and and a practice that everybody could do. All you need is a mat and you can just do it on your own. And it's become this thing that is like so expensive and hard for people Mm -hmm. to do. Like yoga gear is super expensive. Joining a studio is really expensive. And I'm saying this as somebody that is, I'm in a, I do hot yoga like four to six times a week. And it's one of those things that it has really worked for me. Like my mood, my physical fitness. My arms are crazy now. Like it's, it's been, it's been great for me, but at the same time, like, you know, while I'm doing this thing that I know has helped me like you, Priyanka, I'm aware of the fact that like not everybody can access it. And it wasn't always like that. It wasn't Mm -hmm. always that like, you know, only people who are of a certain means could access like 
wellness, which is sort of, I don't know. It's so crazy. Uh, You mentioned yoga. Like I think of things that growing up, like my parents would, like, I mean, we would cook with turmeric, like just things that you did in like Indian culture that have become now like mainstream wellness things. Mm -hmm. Like it feels very weird to go to like a hippie LA restaurant and spend like $20 on lentils, which is doll, like (laughs) staple Indian food. And you're like, oh, like if anyone in my family saw me doing this, like that's like (laughs) I feel really weird about this. Um, There's like an in one of the articles that we were reading for prep, it was like talking about the cultural appropriation, just like Mm -hmm. casually Mm -hmm. and how wellness culture kind of like takes like picks and chooses from, you know, different traditions and some for the better and things that have been introduced like on a wide scale that have made a lot of people's lives better. And it's great. It's really cool, I think, to watch, you know, people embracing yoga. But then, you know, you sit in a room and you're listening to a bunch of people say namaste. And you're like, that is simply not how you say it. It's not why we're doing any of this. And you're like, oh, God, I I don't know how I feel about any of this. I went to Nepal before I practiced yoga at all. And namaste is like the hello. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, like my aversion to wellness culture in America was so intense that it took me a couple of days of being in Nepal and having people greet me that way without being like, Ugh, like kind of feeling myself contract. And it's like, no, 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 no. We like that, that's it's nice here. It's a nice thing to say here. It's not an annoying thing to say here. Another thing that I've noticed um, being from like a very I, I grew up very rural and where I grew up, we had well water. So it wasn't city water, not treated with like fluoride or chlorine or anything like that. We drank milk from my grandparents' cows that was unpasteurized, un, like there was no antibiotics in it. We ate vegetables that we grew and didn't put like pesticides on. We ate meat that my dad killed or that were the, the we'd raised or it was from my grandparents' farm. And uh, I had no idea that I was basically growing up like Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. I was going to say, like, you, this sounds like an L.A. Sounds, retreat. Yeah. yeah. People would spend <laughs> good we were, money. Yeah. We were poor. Yeah. <laughs> we were poor. That's called being poor and, like, being raised in a rural area. I mean, we weren't poor for the area, but, like, that's how everybody up there is raised. And it's so funny. Like, you see tech bros, like you were talking about, Dana, being like, I'm disrupting water. And it's like, no, you invented wells. <laughs> you, I'm I'm happy. Grow the grocery store industry, and it's like you're growing food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Tian, I wanted to talk to you about um, the reason that we do these things. Like, why are we drawn to wellness? Is it why do we need like the ritual, like that's supposed to make us better or feel better? I mean, I think there's. I, I think we're in such a capitalist culture that we're like grinding ourselves at work all the time, and and it's nice to have a message that's like you can take a second. And purchase something that would make you feel better, potentially. So, like, when I think about self-care, and even that word is so loaded, it's changed so much. But uh, thinking about, like, treating yourself and such, I, I, I do the thing. I will buy, like, a face mask because in that moment I'm like... I haven't thought about myself for a second, or I've been told that I haven't thought about myself for a second. And so by purchasing this thing, I have taken time to just, like, take care of myself. It's almost a mentality of, like, if I don't put my face mask on before— I have to put my face mask on first before I put Uh. face mask on for someone else. (laughs) 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 Uh. How does feeling like shit— 
feed into the wellness industry. And like, do you find it insidious that like some, I don't know, some like wellness forces try to make you feel like crap without actually acknowledging that they're trying to make you feel like crap? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I, I was just thinking about like, uh, like skincare stuff. It's like, do it because you're beautiful, but also like your pores are garbage. You know, like that's yeah. always a subtext. My pores are huge. My nail bed is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I had a dream last night that I was talking to a man who used to be a coworker of mine who I admire. I was just talking to him. This is your dream. In your dream. In my dream, <laughs> in my dream he goes, Mm, your cuticles are a disaster. <gasps> that was part of my dream. Wow. But anyway, back to the question <laughs> I had for you, Priyanka. How do you see that feeling like shit plays into the wellness industry? I mean, I think it does in a huge way, whether you want to explicitly acknowledge. I feel like wellness as a whole now is less explicitly acknowledging and playing on it than it did in the past. But I think it's still totally there, like the undercurrent of everything. Um and I mean, I think of, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like a lot of my exposure to wellness culture, air quotes, uh, is on Instagram these oh, days, like yeah. following mm. people. And, you know, you're like watching them do things and you're like, oh, look at them. And, you know, they're adding this to their smoothie or like whatever and all the ways that they're taking care of themselves. And you're playing this comparison game of like, all the ways I'm not taking care of myself because I'm not doing these things. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, whether or not that's the explicit intention or purpose, I think that is a lot of wellness culture ends up becoming this comparison and you being like, oh, wait, I care about myself. I like myself. I want to, you know, take care of myself and be the best I can be. I should be doing all these things. And that's like, the train of thought that I feel like gets me to be like, oh shit, I'm going to blow $100 at Glossier because I need this stuff. It's going to make me the best version of me and who wouldn't want that? Yeah. I mean, I also think like Instagram is a really good thing to bring up because like you have all these celebrities that like Dana, you were mentioning, have literally no qualifications, oh my God, yeah. no business talking at all about anything science related who are like, rub charcoal on your mouth. Like, you know, do <laughs> oh, it, do oil this. Oil pulling. That's the weirdest one. Wait, what's that? Oh, uh, when you, do you know what oil pulling yes, is? I've just, done it before. Did it make your no, mouth feel better? <laughs> it made me mad that I'd done it. Yeah, you, you 20 just. Yeah, it's like yeah, 20 minutes yeah, long. So you long. just take time. oil in your mouth, like special oil, I'm sure, and just <laughs> swish it around your mouth for half an hour. Hour, and that's it. You, you then, it's not special oil. You can just take plain coconut. Oil. <laughs> not even special oil. You just, coconut okay, oil. you got tricked. <laughs> and the and, the, and the, the the lore is that it pulls the toxins out through your gums. So like I think about. <laughs> so you, what did you do for that twenty minutes? I got mad at myself. <laughs> I was just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it out. I did the whole like this is maybe my entire personality summarized. But I started doing it and was like, I don't like this. Nope, I'm going to stick with it because I started it and I stuck with it even though I hated it. And then at the end, I was like, why did I do that? And it was real dumb. But yeah, celebrities, <laughs> celebrities shouldn't be telling us how to pull what what part of our bodies we should pull toxins out of. Yeah, it's just that that one's weird. There was the coke. There was the charcoal brushing your teeth thing a couple of years ago that everybody was doing that just disappeared because it turns out it's not good. It, it strips oh, your really? enamel. Yeah, don't <gasps> don't brush your teeth with charcoal. Anyone listening? Because uh, charcoal is like an exfoliant, and it it just it makes your teeth whiter because it's 
Eroding, eroding them, eroding, eroding the full first level wow. of your enamel. Well, then you have people that are doing like these kind of like skin treatments that you're like, I don't know about what you're doing to your face right now. I shouldn't. Okay, first of all, let me just get this out of the way. I personally barely ever wash my face. You have the effing best skin in the whole world. Wait, really? Yeah. How do you get your you're in red lipstick and eyeliner? I have. I I take like baby wipes and I'll rub it off before. Oh I my go. god, baby wipes are the best. Yeah, before I like right. go to exercise class and then. What kind of baby wipes are we talking about? Just any brand, really. Like I'll use the kind that doesn't have like scent and dye because I don't want my face to smell like a baby's butt. <laughs> Wait, and it, remo- and it removes your makeup? Yeah, you just like... You yeah, can, it's the best. It's basically just like a makeup wipe. You can use it like a makeup wipe, and it's way cheaper. A little tip Whoa. for everybody. Wow, you hacked the system. I did. <laughs> also, like, bonus, you when you get them, I get them at, like, the Target baby aisle, and you get to, like, look at tiny little shoes without being creepy because you're on your way to actually get something. Disruptor! Yeah, I just... Disru- I hacked it. <laughs> um, but no, but then I, like, in the shower, I just, like, let cold water because I end my shower with, like, five minutes of freezing cold water. I let cold water go over my face, and that is my, like, wellness routine because everything else I do throughout, throughout the day will not feel as bad as standing in that cold water for five minutes. <laughs> but yeah, I never wash my face. Wow, your skin is amazing. Thank yeah. you. But yeah. I, but it's like, I, I tweeted about it and people were like, what? That's, I mean. My, you know, my wellness routine uh, is I, every three weeks, I buy whatever face mask, like BuzzFeed's like list of like 21 makeup products that actually get results. And I buy it and I use it and I, uh, it doesn't really work, and it clogs up my my bathroom, and then I cry and start Whole30 and go for three days and fail, and then start the whole process over again. So your system, my system, toss-up. Well, let's talk a little bit about diet culture and the way that it insidiously tries to convince you, no matter how you look, that you need it. Like, when's the first time you saw an ad for a diet product and thought, I need to do this. I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to say the, the way not, I don't know. I can't even speak for whole 30 cause I've never done the whole thing, but it, it advertises. It's like, this is not a diet. It's not to lose weight. It's just to make yourself feel better. But it's like, it's cutting out all carbs, all legumes, all dairy, all not all, all carbs. Fruits have a ton of carbs, all, uh, grains yeah. and legumes. And dairy and ca- and sugar and alcohol and you're like, well, that's kind of a diet. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's like a you're gonna lose weight if you don't eat any of the things you normally <laughs> eat. Yeah, the rebranding of diets yeah. as like lifestyle yeah. changes is really something. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just it is a thing that I've, I don't know. No, no diet is a diet anymore. Right. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle You've choice. You've bought in and you're fully, yeah, well, absorbing like, yourself in every that's way. That's part of the big, like, sneakiness of yeah. the industry now is like, oh, we're not telling you to diet, but wouldn't you look cute in this dress that's two sizes smaller than your current size? Like, we're not telling we're not telling you to diet. You're perfect the way you are, but <laughs> you would be perfecter. As someone who, and I don't want to, like, get too into this, but I had long and terrible history with eating disorders. And I think oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we all, everyone, I feel like so many women have, it's just like a cultural epidemic, but it was like, it was gross and not glamorous. And I looked the skinniest I've ever been and was the most miserable. But I think part of the mentality that I got into is part of this cultural narrative where I thought if I eat only 
like the right foods, mm-hmm. then I'll be the right kind of person. I'm like the type of woman I want to be, this like glamorous, like top of her game, eats only like a small portion of oatmeal for breakfast and wouldn't eat it and wouldn't eat carbs for lunch and then would have like chicken and vegetables for dinner. And any deviation from that sent me into like a huge anxiety spiral because I think there's this narrative that has become this thing of like, you are what you eat and it's wellness and it's not a diet, but that makes food then like virtue Mm -hmm. linked. So I really, I mean, I obviously took it way too far and it's a mental disease and it's a thing that happened to me, but it was part of that narrative of like, what you eat is your health and is your wellness and is your persona. Mm -hmm. And if you have a you know, slice of pizza, you're a fat slob. And Mm -hmm. if you have a salad, you're a healthy, glowing yoga queen. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really fed into unhealthy narratives. Do you think it has something to do with like, uh, in your, in the case of people who suffer from eating disorders, it's, do you think it has something to do with like control? And do you think that all of our desire to improve ourselves by purchasing things or limiting ourselves or, you know, restricting ourselves is like trying to control something in an uncontrollable world. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think also it comes from this fear. I mean, women who are overweight have so much thrown against them in our society, like so much hatred and vitriol from men and from culture and from, from society, social perception. And I think it's like, genuine fear of trying to protect myself from that. It's like, okay, well, people will probably criticize me because I'm not smart enough and will probably criticize me because I'm not pretty enough, but I won't let them criticize me because I'm not skinny enough. Mm -hmm. At least that was like the Mm -hmm. distorted, obviously that's not a healthy, that was like the horrible distorted narrative. And then, yeah. I mean, I've never heard it. I've never heard it uh, spelled out like that, Yeah, but it makes Years of therapy, baby. (laughs) Um, Let's segue into therapy stuff because there are certain ways that, you know, Priyanka, you touched on things that were helpful for you earlier. And I think that therapy is something that a lot of people who are pursuing wellness can actually do and it actually leads to positive outcomes. Do any of you have like experiences with therapy that you're comfortable sharing or do you have you seen uh, people that you know uh, go to therapy and have good outcomes? Everybody's. I've talked a lot. I I mean, I just, I've never, I've never been to therapy. Me either. I don't have anything. All right. I'll grab this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've been to therapy. I was like a very depressed teenager uh, who was also very anorexic. And so I definitely went through a lot of therapy Um, and I'm not in it anymore, you know, because I, I moved and I haven't found a new person, but I do think it can be really helpful and cathartic. I mean, the same way, like, I'm sure religion is or the idea of confession, like the idea of talking to someone and venting everything and not feeling like a burden. Like, I feel like sometimes when I'm like with my friends and I'm complaining, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be like talking about myself so much, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of nice to be like, okay, I can just like get everything out and vent for like an objective person Mm -hmm. with no ulterior motive. So I think it it really is. Uh, helpful and a positive thing. Like emotional toxins, which yeah. are real. <laughs> Those are real. There's a great tweet, and I, I hate like being like, there's a tweet, but someone <laughs> tweeted how like je- baby boomers are always like, she went to therapy. <laughs> and Gen Zers are like, yo, this is what my therapist said. <laughs> <laughs> Christine, my therapist. <laughs> um, so that is an interesting, uh, that's a good segue into the final point, which is like the performative aspect of wellness. Because for some people, therapy is like super helpful. But do you think when, it, 
for for other people, it's just not either not helpful or not necessary. Do you think that the sort of performative aspect of wellness, especially when it comes to like women, um, do you think that that pressures us to try to seek help for things that we actually don't need help for? I would say just quickly, and sorry that I'm talking too much, but no. uh, therapy, I just, on the opposite side, is something that is so often stigmatized mm-hmm. that I feel like should not be stigmatized. That is mm-hmm. something that legitimately helps people. And there's so much of a cultural narrative around it being like mm-hmm. a shrink. And it's for like, I'm doing air quotes because I don't believe this things, but like it's for crazies and you wouldn't mm-hmm. go to therapy unless you're a crazy person. Mm-hmm. But no, it, it just is helpful. So, but I think yes. And I think that we do feel pressure to do like performative wellness. Like here's my green smoothie. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's kind of a line between that and therapy still Mm -hmm. because there's still a stigma around therapy but there's not a stigma around green juice Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Priyanka what are your thoughts on like the performative aspect of wellness yeah I think I mean especially in LA if being a person on social media all of it it there's super super performative aspects but then I also don't know exactly where the line is because if there's stuff that does make you feel good. Like I'm thinking for my own example, like acupuncture. Um, I want to tell people in my life about it because it has made my life objectively better and has helped me like feel better or things like therapy. It's like, I like when people talk about that, like things that have made them actually feel better. And if it's something that you're enjoying and like not, it's not harming people. It's like, okay, where do you draw that line? So of course, like there is this performative aspect where people are like, doing things and holding their like juice from a certain place and you're like okay we get it like this is a lot and then there's I don't know maybe it's a you processing how you encounter these things and then feeling like you need to be doing them too or like you're inadequate because you're not Mm -hmm. um so I get that on one side but then there's this other side of like oh hot yoga really helped Erin like Mm -hmm. she was feeling xyz like stress whatever and this is something that made her life better, like, interesting, like, maybe I'll try it. Like, there are things like that where I'm like, oh, I appreciate hearing it. So Mm -hmm. it's sticky. Like, I don't know exactly where that line is. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It is sticky. But it also reminds me of what you said when you're talking about acupuncture being covered by your insurance and, you know, talking about something like hot yoga, which is something that isn't isn't financially available to a lot of people. I think the bigger issue is, like, how do we make things that work that actually help able, like accessible mm-hmm. to more people. Um, that, that seems like a, a maybe t- the, the next step in wellness culture should be like trying to make it more democratic. Yeah. And I also think that there's like not enough emphasis on like X worked for me. It might not be a thing for you, but like, this is a thing. I, I feel like when gluten-free diets, for example, mm. first became a thing, like yeah. if you are celiac, of course, like that's going to make you feel way better. But like there, I feel like there was a period of time where everyone that was like the thing and whether or not like it's in diet land, like there are things in fitness and whatever, like things that work for you for a certain reason, but might, might not be like blanket statement applicable to everyone. And I think that's like most everything. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if there's enough of that, like, this is something that I like, works for me, might not be your jam, but like, great. Like, if you care about what I have to say, like, that's 
something that I like. And I think mm-hmm. it, like coming off that point, it's like it's more about the habits. Like it works for me and I do it, you know, regularly and it's changed my lifestyle as opposed to like I bought this one thing and it fixed everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's no panacea. No magic pill. No magic pill. Unfortunately, otherwise we would all have it. It'd be very glamorous <laughs> <and put> together. <laughs> it would be very glamorous. Okay. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining me for this. We have to take a break. But when we come back, the hills will die on. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And welcome back. We've reached the final segment of the show where we take really strong stances on dumb bullshit that doesn't matter. It's the hills will die on. Let's get started with our listener hill. Hello, Hysteria. This is Pam from Minneapolis. The hill that I will die on is scented trash bags. (gasps) If your trash is so stinky, then get off your ass and take the trash out. The odor from the scented trash bags is way worse than any trash I That's not true. (laughs) That is the hill I'll die on. See, I get scented trash bags just because I like to walk through my kitchen and be like, it's clean. Yeah, me too. And it's not, but... Oh man! And I have a I have a closed lid trash. It's not like I smell my trash. You don't smell it. What's wrong with scented trash bags? I do think the scent is sometimes overpowering. Like I this the scent, the clean scent or whatever it is, is sometimes um like oh it's a fake clean right. Mm, like it's not that is what bugs me. But I don't I don't have that strong of a. I, <laughs> I admire her her I do too. strength of That's opinion very, on that. Very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I'm inspired by her, though. So. <laughs> I've, I've got a cleaning-related hill or a cleanliness-related hill that I will die on. Um, Swiffers are for children. They're not for people who actually want to have a clean apartment. Whoa. They just like push the dirt around. It's just—it's honestly like what you what you could do and accomplish the same thing as a Swiffer is is like put two uh, paper towels on your hands and just like. Push them across the floor. It no, doesn't. I use a Swiffer. It doesn't actually. You well, put the pads on your socks and then yeah, you could skate do, around. Yeah, which would be cool. I'm, Why don't they make Swiffer socks? Am I a child? I'm a child. <laughs> I mean, in most ways, no. But in that specific way, yes. I'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> it's wow. fair. They just, I just find them like really, really gross. And if I am ever at somebody's house and all that they have is a Swiffer, I'm like that. So how do you clean your floor? I mop. You mop. See, Whoa. I think that is, I have hardwood I floors. Mop, I think mops are I, just mops moving are stuff around. I think yeah. mops are mop dirty are water. Yeah. You mop with Murphy's oil soap, and you just like put a little bit into some hot water, and you mop sensibly. Haven't any of you ever worked at a restaurant? Yes, haven't any of you ever? Waitress, I never. When I mopped. think about the mops, I'm like, oh, this is this is like I'm cl- I'm cleaning the floor with 
dirty floor. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm you adding. You put the mop back <laughs> yeah, in but, the water. But Swiffer is the whole, the same but yeah, but thing. Then you can but replace you can the Swiffer. Do you, and you get a new Swiffer. Yeah, you put you, a new thing on. What kind of mop do you have? Do you have the ones that I've have the braids the or like the one that's like the sponge? I don't like the braids. They're too out of control. Swiffer is a mop. It sprays clean water. And then you. I don't No, no, wait. How, I don't, what does that sound? no uh, i use the kind that is a sponge and i use like a big thing of like very very like piping hot water and i like put on i put like murphy's oil soap in it is it the sponge one where it has that thing where it like squeezes it really aggressively Uh yeah okay i can see how that would. yeah i don't like slop with a big like yeah brady octopus thing i don't slop i kind of just want to watch you once and learn okay yeah can you can you teach a seminar i've I told you about how I think that my dead grandma's ghost is slowly possessing me, right? No, you have no, not. I would have remembered not. that. Put that in there. <laughs> well, so I had a, my my grandma Ryan, who passed away uh, like five years ago, I think. Um, ever si- in the last few years, I've like noticed myself exhibiting traits of hers that I'm like, where did that come from? Like, I remember being a kid and observing it and being like, grandma, that's weird. But now I'm like doing it. And one of those things is like, cleaning like she get she used to get really into cleaning and now when I get into cleaning I almost like go into a fugue state it's I want to watch I want to watch and learn okay yeah okay you could come over when I clean my new apartment because I'm moving in right now and I'm already like oh it's already dirty I'll bring I'll bring green juice (laughs) okay bring green juice okay who wants to go next let's go with let's go Tian I'll go uh, because that our our listener hill today inspired me Because I didn't come in prepped, but now I'm ready. Uh, the hill that I will die on is that I think scented tampons should be outlawed. Do they make those? Yes. Scented tampons. I've actually like accidentally bought a whole pack because when like you know when you're in the tampon aisle, you're rushed and <laughs> <laughs> you're rushed. You're running through. You're like, oh, what size am I? And I like grabbed the scented, and I have a whole pack of scented tampons that like the budget conscious person in me is like, don't throw them away. He's just like spent like ten dollars on these like scented tampons, but they. They're what like a they scent scented? that doesn't make sense. That's like, so funny. It's like a weird floral. Oh, I was thinking like Cool Ranch or something. I mean, that's what I, I mean, I would prefer like cool a ranch Cool Ranch, ranch, ranch tampons. tampons. I'd prefer a Cool Ranch tampon, maybe an Old Bay tampon. <laughs> Old Bay. <laughs> <laughs> old, old, old Bay seasoning. Maybe keep it like, you know, East Coast Maryland blue crab. Like, is, have we have we landed on the next wellness trend that there's going to be like charcoal and turmeric tampons? Oh, my oh God. no. I mean, I think Ugh. we just came up with it. But yeah, th- that scented tampon is like, I would love if anyone, if anyone knows what exactly that smell is and can just like, could name, like, I just don't understand what it is. It's like floral, but like baby powdery at the same time that and seems like maybe not like safe yeah but they sell them they and sell a lot of things that are not great <laughs> I mean I didn't mean to buy it you heard me I was rushed in the aisle <laughs> being chased down the aisle well it's weird enough that they like bleach the cotton that goes yeah. in your yeah, yeah. so I you can see great. the the contrast. Yeah. I, it's bad. Also I, when that also when not to be so graphic, gross. but I'm like so when that scented tampon is mixing with your like body, it's just like none no smell is all now mm-hmm. the smell is even worse. And also who's smelling your tampon? Trash at least is to like mask a scent. Right. You're you should not be emitting a scent down I, there. I know. Yeah. You're not huffing your tampon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess that's a wellness thing that no one else is doing. 
Great. <laughs> Great. Um, Dana, do you want to go next? Yeah, mine is a complete 90 degree <laughs> turn away from this uh, because I have no strong cleaning opinions because I'm terrible at cleaning. Uh, Keaton is the best Batman. That's my hill. And I will oh, die on it. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Love Keaton's Batman. I think he plays it like a straight up weirdo. He's incredibly handsome. Uh, he has sort of like fluffy hair and glasses. And I love that. And I like that he he plays Bruce Wayne as like not cool. <laughs> Uh, he, oh, in the yeah. first, in the, in the Tim Burton movie, if you recall, uh, he, he sleeps with the intrepid photojournalist Vicki Vale. And when she sleeps, she wakes up in the middle of the night and she looks over and sees him sleeping, hanging upside down like a bat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is so funny to me. And so I love that he, he's the perfect Batman because he's very handsome, but not like chiseled and uh, wears dad jeans. And there's n- no better Batman. That's my hell. Don't at me. Okay. Okay. Wow. I think that, did you watch that recently? Sorry. Oh, yeah. I did. I rewatched it. So I'm working on sort of like a spooky project for. So I was like, oh, I'll revisit Tim Burton's Batman, oh. uh, which is a I thought would be sort of aesthetically the vibe. It's great because it's bananas, and it's like I know now people are like, oh, these are gritty, real superhero movies, not like those cartoony ones. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? The man dressing like a bat to fight the man dressing like a penguin should be a little cartoony, you weirdo. <laughs> so I like that they're like full on ridiculous. And the second one, Batman Returns, double hell, hell within a hell. Uh, that's a Catwoman movie, and it's about me too. Ah, oh. yeah. Oh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Oh, is yeah, great. so good, iconic. Yeah. Iconic. Her boss just constantly harasses her, then murders her, and then everyone sexually harasses her, and she goes crazy because, of course, you would. Her boss murders her, and then she comes home to this perfume ad that's like, if you wear this perfume, your boss will be asking you to a midnight staff meeting for two. And she's like, ah, and then that that snaps her into becoming Catwoman. And I'm like, yeah. Haven't seen this movie, but it sounds great. Good. It's good. Um, I gotta rewatch it. Also, a Christmas movie, I think. Great Christmas movie. It's the horniest Batman movie. It is a very horny Batman movie. There is a face licking. I think someone <laughs> I tweeted I tweeted about it and someone reminded me that like when it came out like McDonald's made like Happy Meal toys about it and then they saw the movie and they were like nope recalling these Happy Meal toys it's a very horny oh, super gotta, horny gotta watch anyway it. watch it for watch sure. it that's okay. my hell <laughs> all right Priyanka do you want to bring us home yeah okay my cool or my hell right now not cool um, <laughs> it is about cool people every cool person on the internet has picked this half of the year to release their books. So there are like 15 <laughs> new books that I have to read that like, they're like these great people. And I'm like, shit, now my reading list, which was already long in the first place, has now like doubled in size. It's really stressful. I think that all the cool people on Twitter need to talk to each other, coordinate when they're doing this, <laughs> pick mm-hmm. different times of the year, stagger it out. You be... don't get to pick. The pub- publishing fall is, is publishing season. All right, I'm pivoting that the publishers yeah. need to pick. <laughs> need to change it up because this is stressful for me and I'm sure others. It's because, sorry, I don't mean to, to No, no. So it's like the same way like Oscar movies come out in December because of the awards and like summer blockbusters come out in June. It's like things that they sort of think are like chiclet, like I'm doing air quotes there because that's not a good phrase, or like speech reads will come out in May or things that are sort of aimed at teens to read during the summer. But like prestige literature is like always time to like back to school because that's always because you want to get on the best of the end of the year lists and you want to be in awards contenders. And also holiday season. Yeah. Books, gift books. I did think about holiday season, but I'm 
I hate this. No, I like that hill. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It should they should stagger them. They should stagger. I've got a really long reading list because I read Stephen King's on writing earlier this summer and I was like, I'm gonna read as much as Stephen King. And I've read like 15 books since June. So at the same time, too many people I know keep releasing. I, I same problem. Like, and I, they all look good. Is the thing? It's like stuck. Want to read a boring a, book? Achilles <laughs> book just came out, <laughs> or is about to come yeah, out. Josh Gondelman's book. Yeah, oh, Josh yeah. Gondelman's book. Uh, really Mike funny. Isaac's book about Uber. I've had a a copy of it for like months and I've just been like I'm gonna and then things other things keep happening like I'm not I haven't, cool enough to get that one I haven't but. read Sally Rooney's normal people yet no me so either I need oh, to get on that I'm halfway done the conversation with friends is better okay. that's my second hill um, <laughs> <laughs> lots of hills today I'm, wow. I'm in a really bad mood this morning I feel like I'm taking it out on the microphone no you've, <laughs> no, been, you've been great and I also will say like on the wellness note books really good wellness. That is another thing I'm trying to do. It's in my nighttime routine and I have time for books. That is my... When you said that you were like trying to go to bed earlier and I'm trying to like get off screens earlier Yeah, and read a book and go to bed. Give yourself an hour. If you block out an hour... And if that's too much, just do 20 minutes and set a timer and take your phone, set it and put it face down and be like, I'm not going to do anything else until the timer goes out. And by the time 20 minutes is up, you're going to be like, I want to keep doing this. Okay, great. I'll yeah. do my. I set my alarm and I'll put uh, it's on my phone, but it's farther away from my bed, so I have to get up and get up to, to like turn it off. But I'll set my alarm, leave it over there, and like read my book for like a chapter, and then I'm like, great, I'll go to bed. I don't know what time it is. Perfect. Mm. I mean, I've been doing this for two days, so like, don't look at me like this. Like, my <laughs> life is so good. Write a book. <laughs> wow, and release it at the same time as everybody else. Oh man, that's true. People need to stop creating new content. There's too it's much. Too much. There's too much content. But you I, should. I'll read my book coming out November 5th. Oh, oh yes. Dana. Okay, yeah. I have a copy of Dana's <laughs> book, too, and it's awesome. And the cartoons in it are awesome, Thank too. you so much. That's Jason Katzenstein. He cartoons for The New Yorker. He's amazing. Well, tell your publisher to fuck off. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Tian and Dana, thanks for stopping by. Priyanka, thank you for coming in again. Yay. Of course. Always thanks for having me. Anytime, man. Anytime we have an opening and we're not already scheduled. And we need to. Well, you know. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of copyists there. Okay. No, thank you so much. This is this is a really fun conversation. Thanks to Alyssa Mastermonico for calling in. And thanks to Naomi Klein for doing a quick chat with me about climate issues. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Malkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.